All right, it's six o'clock. Let's have a prayer and uh, we'll get started, okay? Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of studying your word and for coming together like this. I just pray, God, that you'll help us to understand better your word and, and all of the things that you do for us through the ages. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's uh, continue in Exodus. We're only going to look at verses 11 through 14 because tonight we're, we're going to, uh, what did I say? What did I do it wrong? Did I say it right? No, he said Oh, oh. Shouldn't be watching that anyway. Watching what? Well, unless you got a lot of money on it. I don't know. Right. No, not, not. Um, I want us to get to know Moses a little better and look at it from a perspective that you don't get by only looking at Exodus. But the Bible gives us a deeper insight. To You know, there, there are big gaps of time here. So what has happened during that time, actually, and I had a seminary professor tell me this a long time ago, that wherever you see a reference to the Old Testament or a quote of the Old Testament in the New Testament, of course, the New Testament is given in the Koine Greek um, that the New Testament is actually an accurate and expanded um, commentary on what the Old Testament has said because the apostles are inspired as Moses was inspired to, to give us the five books of Moses. Uh, but, but they give it from, from the perspective of after the day of Pentecost and, uh, and in the time of the church and being further enlightened, uh, so to speak. So with that in mind, let's begin here in verse uh, 11. And it happened in those days when Moses was grown. Okay, so a lot of time passed there and we don't know what happened, right? He went out to his brothers and looked at their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew of his brothers. So then he looked this way and that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, then behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. He said to the one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? And he said, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, this thing is surely known. Let's pick up a few things here in this passage before we move on to something uh, in the New Testament that gives us a, a, a closer look and a, and a more expanded view of, of this whole situation. You'll note here that Moses didn't seem to have much of a problem killing the Egyptian. If what Josephus has written about, about and I guess he draws from other sources, historical sources about Moses uh, being the highest rank officer in the army and he would have he would have been accustomed as a soldier and a warrior uh, to using a sword and um, he would have probably been armed being recognized at least as the daughter as the son of the daughter of Pharaoh and knew how to kill and if he, I guess, 
as a commanding officer, if 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 that holds water, I mean, you know, we we build it on extra biblical sources, which are fairly reliable. If if he was an army guy, a military guy, surely accustomed to taking the lives of other people, but also in conquering other people, he also would have served, being the highest ranking officer, he would have served as a judge. So what do you do with a conquered land? You're going to leave them, you're going to leave the conquered land as a vassal of the of the empire of Egypt, and you'll have to set people in positions of authority, and you'll have to uh, get the economy set up again, and you'll have to get the government set up again, because in those days especially, logistics and, and distance, all these been be impossible, so I say all the time. So Moses, as a, as a, as a prince, as a warrior, would have also had experience as being a judge over people. Now you think about that and look at the language that's used here. He didn't hesitate killing the Egyptian when he saw him uh, beating one of his brother Hebrews. Now they're not called Israelites here because they really haven't come out as a nation yet. They're still the Hebrews over there in the land of Goshen. Um, and it's obvious that he didn't want anybody to see it, but it was a, it must have been a, oops, it must have been a fairly quick and clean, um, uh, death. I've, you ever seen the swords that the Egyptians used in those days or a, a likeness of the swords? They, they were almost, don't turn, well, you can turn the sound off, but, uh, I have another biblical reference that I'm going to look at there. They, you know, they come out like this, almost like a sickle or something. They come out and then they go around like this. And it was perfect for, for cutting a guy in half or cutting his head off, uh, which might have been their, you know, might have been their favorite move. Uh, and if that's the case, he would have known how to do that quickly. Um, so maybe he lopped the guy's head off. I don't know, but he, ki he killed him. Then he hit him in the sand. <laughs> he didn't think anybody was watching, right? So then he goes and he sort of scolds these guys. He's used to giving orders. He's used to uh, being in uh, authority of wherever he is. Thank you, ma'am. And um, as such, he's, uh, he's ready to just enter into the fray and say, hey, why are you doing this to each other? So, you know, he's fairly bold, leadership type. One of the guys said, Notice the language. Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Okay, he's a prince of the Egyptians. If indeed he was the military commander that uh, his, historians say that he has been, he's 40 years old. It's, he's, he's 40 years old at this point. If he had all that experience, then this guy would have known that, this Hebrew, and he said, you know, you may, uh, essentially what he's saying is, you may be a prince, in Egypt, but you're not a prince among the Hebrews. You may have the authority to judge people here and there in whatever position you may be exercising authority in, within, but we don't recognize that over here. So do you intend to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? Well, this obviously uh, caused fear to come in 
uh, to the heart of Moses. So now thinking about that, um, let me set my, I got to find my script here that I want to use. Okay. Let's look at the next uh, part here. Going to take a closer look at some details about Moses in Acts chapter 7. And we're going, to, we're going to begin in verse 20. This is Stephen, who's about to get killed. This is Stephen preaching his message about the history of Israel and, and bringing them to Christ, preaching Christ. So Stephen continues in his oration. He says, In that time Moses was born, and he was beautiful to God. Now, remember we saw, I guess it was last time or time, whenever, that when his mother saw that he was beautiful, you know, she saved him. It kind of sounded like if he had been ugly, she wouldn't have, <laughs> she wouldn't have saved him. Right? Well, it goes deeper here. He wasn't just beautiful to his mother. He was beautiful to God. Now, the Greek word for beautiful is a deeper and more expansive word than the Hebrew word. The Greek word speaks of elegance, an elegant appearance. So, so tell me what would give elegance to the appearance of an infant? Anybody help me there? Long eyelashes? They don't look like Winston. They don't like. They don't look like Brother Charles. Sparkle, sweet, thick, curly hair, right? Whatever you might think of, the appearance of this little baby was gripping. Not only to his mother, obviously to God, and he was beautiful to God. And he was brought up three months in the house of his father, having been set outside. Then the daughter of Pharaoh took him and brought him up for herself as a son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in words and deeds. That last sentence uh, gives us a great deal of information about the lost years of Moses that we don't have in the book of Exodus. It tells us that he went, I think I saw where the elite school was in the Temple of the Sun, S-U-N, which they, they worship the sun god, Ra, and the, the most elite education was there. It was very strict from what I read. Uh, you know, they didn't, there was no such thing as no child left behind in the Egyptian Temple of the Sun school. Uh, if, if probably if you didn't get it, you got whacked over the head and, and all kind of things. Pain compliance does a lot. <laughs> it, really, it really improves attitudes. Um, and it makes you want to learn. Um, so it was a fairly, from what I read, this kind of instruction, and it says in the wisdom of the Egyptians, this means that he was, he was really deep in what he learned. We can even look at the very science that he studied uh, these days. Of course, it's kind of ridiculous to us today, but we can see the, 
the wisdom that was passed down among the Egyptians and, and then their history and the history of their language. Um, uh, you know, their, their, their language it was, what, hieroglyph, what do you call it, hieroglyphics maybe? It was in pictures, pictogra pictographs, pictograms. It's all in pictures, and it says it says something to the Egyptologists that you know that it doesn't say to me. You know, you can look at it and say, well, this bird was running, and this guy on a horse was chasing him, and then things didn't go right, and this guy on the horse fell off the horse, and the bird got away. You know, it, it, but other people look at it, and all these things. It's interesting to study etymology in the sense that you can see. Especially if you study Hebrew, you can see how pictographs morphed their way into the Hebrew letters. This is one thing that you, you study when you study the Hebrew language. It, it came down, you can see how it came from, from pictographs all the way down to, to letters, the letters of the early alphabets. These were the things that he would have studied. So he would have learned languages, and apparently he would have gone to military school um, if what we read is, is reliable. So he was, he was really intelligent uh, and had the best education that an Egyptian could have had. But look at what else he says. He says that Moses was mighty in his words and deeds. Now later on, Moses says he, he stutters. He speaks with a halting tongue. But here it says that he was mighty in his words. Well, could it be that he had somebody who would speak for him, as in the case of Aaron? I don't, I don't know. We're, we're not told that much. But we do know that whether he wrote it or spoke it, he was, he was a man who asserted thought and uh, gave speeches, and he did things that were notable because the Holy Spirit of God here says he was mighty in his words and works or deeds. So Moses was well known. That's why the Hebrew guy who was corrected for, for, for striking his companion, that's why he was quick to point out prince and judge. He would have known, you know, I mean, a victor of the commanding general of Egyptian armies having won great battles in places would have, you know, their, their thing was to march and come back in victory and uh, carry the spoils of war with them and slaves and everything. And they would, they would march in front of the people and the people would cheer. So Moses, Moses was a well-known guy probably was dressed in Egyptian garb, probably had his weapon on him while he was going over into the land of Goshen to watch how his brethren of the Hebrews were being treated. So we have a little bit more understanding of Moses here in, uh, in Acts chapter 7. We continue on verse 23. Then when a period of 40 years was fulfilled to him. Okay. This, this almost sounds like that this is a divine appointment from God. 
he would have he would have accomplished a lot in that culture, in that day. He would have accomplished a lot by the time he was forty years old. So look at it. It came into his mind to visit his brothers, the sons of Israel, and having now this is the New Testament. Uh, commentary of what we just read in Exodus a moment ago. And having seen a certain one being wronged, he defended him and did vengeance for the one being oppressed, having struck down the Egyptian. Okay. So it's a little deeper here. The story is, a, is expanded a little bit further in this way. He didn't just murder the Egyptian. You know, when I went through police academy a long time ago, we went through a great deal of training on the use of force continuum. It starts with your appearance, shiny brass, so forth, you know. And then it goes from there to a vocal command. And it, and it moves from there to non-lethal and then finally lethal force. And we had it as, as officers of the law, we had it drilled into our, our psyche that there were two reasons to use lethal force as a police officer. Number one was to protect your own life. If in the immediate situation a reasonable person would conclude that he is in mortal danger. He had the right to defend himself with lethal force. Now that's a lot to think about. And then we went through training about, they got a guy, took a guy out of the state prison who was well known for his knife work. A little short stubby guy, but he could move like a cat. And the room was about the size of this room they put him in one corner and put a fully dressed law enforcement officer on the other corner with his Sam Brown belt, his weapon, so forth. At the command of go, the officer was telling him to stand down. Uh, he wanted to see his ID and so forth. The guy over here has a knife, the, the guy that they checked out of prison. It wasn't a real knife, it was a fake now rubber knife, but it was gonna show, all right? So the officer begins to make a command and as soon as the officer makes the command, the guy starts running full speed at him with a knife. He never cleared his weapon out of his holster. He was, with that rubber knife, he was stabbed 30, 40, 50 times, bah, 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 all over the place, and never got his weapon out of So my point is this. We were taught how lethal certain things are, and you have to recognize that a knife, even at a distance of 21 feet, is, is as lethal, if not more so, than a, than a gun. So, you see, the other thing we were told is that if an innocent third party was in mortal danger, we were obligated to use up to lethal force to keep the innocent person from being killed. Those are the only two reasons we could use lethal force. Now, let's put that mindset into... Uh, into Moses' life here, he sees an innocent person being severely mistreated. And he, go back to when we first started in Exodus, how the language in Exodus told us that the Egyptians intended 
to abuse the Hebrews. They weren't just going to give them commands. I mean, they were going to start out with physical abuse and then give the command. It, and it, the physical abuse must have been horrible. Uh, so seeing, seeing this, Moses, he had obviously been, been brought up in the ways of the Egyptians and he would have learned something about Egyptian law, especially military law, and this just wasn't right. So here the Bible further tells us that it wasn't just an act of murder. It was an act of defending an innocent third party. He saw this one being wronged. He defended him and did vengeance for the one being oppressed, having struck down the Egyptian. Now he was supposing, okay, this is something else that we're taught here in the book of Acts. Now he was supposing his brothers to understand that God was giving salvation to them by his hand, but they understood not. Moses, at 40 years old, had somehow been introduced to who he really was. Exodus doesn't go into that, but here, look at this. He thought they understood that he was God's chosen deliverer for them. Remember the word of God said 400 years and then they'll get out. The 400 years were up. The natural expectation of anyone would have been it's time for us to be set free. Therefore, we should have a deliverer. Somehow, the details are not given, but somehow Moses had the understanding that he was the one to deliver them at this point in time. But nobody told the rest of the, the, rest of the Israelites. So, all right, the Israelites in the land of Goshen as slaves had some kind of, of biblical knowledge. They, they had some kind of understanding of their special relationship to the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The miraculous way, really, that Moses was delivered from being killed as a child added to the story. How does Moses know this? We're not told here. We're not told here, but somehow he saw his brothers. He went to visit his brothers. He saw his brothers being mistreated. So he knew at this point he was of the Hebrews, and yet still, and yet still apparently is arrayed as an Egyptian prince and warrior. Uh, and he thought it was, he thought it was generally understood that he was going to be their deliverer, but they understood not. All right, with that deeper look, let's look at a review to give us a little more perspective on Moses and the history of how all this works out. And it's in Hebrews, uh, it's in Hebrews 11. Uh, begins in verse, I think, 23. All right, so this is the great, this is the great account of faith. The faith of the Old Testament saints, certain ones being selected that the story of their faith might be told in Hebrews 11. All right, here we go, verse 23 and following. 
by faith, Moses, having been born. Now, it's not the faith of Moses here, but it's the faith of his parents. By faith, Moses, having been born, was hidden three months by his parents. So it's the faith of his parents. Somehow, they are committed to the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Why? Because they saw the little child was beautiful and they did not fear the edict of the king. There's that word beautiful. Same Greek word that was used by uh, Stephen back over in Acts chapter 7. Same word. He was elegant. Something special about him. So the Holy Spirit of God here is enlightening people to the specialness of Moses. And in that faith, they did not fear the edict of the king. They didn't fear the decree of the king. So they had such faith in the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, knowing that the 400 years were over, knowing that God would send a deliverer, they had such faith that somehow the appearance of Moses was used by Almighty God by reacting through their faith and within them and drawing their faith out, they acted in their faith, not being afraid of the decree of the king to set Moses out in that little boat. After three months, they couldn't hide him any longer. So the story of faith continued for all those 400 years and made its way to the parents of Moses. And they're having faith in God and the word of God that 400 years and then they would be delivered. Therefore, they would look for a deliverer. Moses, early on, now he's, we're going to see how he's going he's to try to get out of that later on, you know, um, because it didn't work well for him when he thought it should have. But, you know, God, God wasn't, he wasn't prepared yet for what he needed to do. As, as, as some preachers say, he had to go to the seminary of the Holy Ghost like Paul did out in the desert for those three years. God knows what he's doing, but it begins with his parents, and his parents were not afraid of Pharaoh because of their faith in God. Therefore, they reacted as they did with Moses. Now this continues. By faith, Moses, having become grown, refused to be called the son of the daughter of Pharaoh. So when Moses, now you think about this, Moses, maybe it was his own self-discovery. Maybe, maybe his sister Miriam whispered to him one day from the bushes when he was out playing with his friends. Who knows? Somehow he came to realize that he was not really the son of the daughter of Pharaoh. Now look at this. Rather having chosen. In the Greek text, this is all very important. Having chosen is in the aorist tense. It's, it, is, it, is, it, is, it, is in the, it is in the tense voice and mood such that this was something that Moses did from within himself. He made this choice, and it was a choice in the area's tense. Once it was made, it was once for all made. He would never change his mind. That's what it means. So once he became dedicated to the belief 
that he was a Hebrew and that he would refuse to be recognized as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He was on a quest. Now look at the next phrase. Having chosen to suffer affliction. Now, to, having chosen to suffer affliction with the people of God. All right, this is a, this, this deserves a little thought here um, because to suffer affliction comes from a Greek word up here, and I'm not going to, I mean, you can, well, I, as a matter of fact, you should see it. It's, I've got the translated word after. It is in the Greek, it is in the Greek infinitive. It's also aorist. It means it happened, and it's there, and it's not going to go away. It's always going to be there. Having chosen to suffer affliction, to suffer affliction. It is a Greek infinitive. Now, a Greek infinitive is a verbal noun. This is, now, this is important if you want to know more about Moses. A Greek infinitive has no, has no time significance. It, it, is, it, is, it is a thing of aspect and not of time. It's different from an English infinitive. It's, it's totally different. It's much deeper. So in the infinitive, it means that this aspect, this aspect of his life, would be continuous, and it would follow its way to its perfection. That's what it means. Here's what we learn from here. Once he made up his mind that he would no longer be regarded as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he made a once-for-all decision, would never change his mind, that he would identify with the people of God. I mean, you might could even go so far as to say, in that day, Moses was saved, you know? He made, he made the choice that he would, it's in the infinitive, he would suffer affliction. It was an aspect, not a time thing, but an aspect thing that was part of, his, of, his, of the essence of who he is. I am a Hebrew. If they suffer, I'm going to suffer. Now look what it says. Having chosen to suffer affliction with the people of God than to have the temporary enjoyment of sin. Having esteemed the reproach of the Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Here are the Israelites in the land of Goshen. They wear torn, nasty garments, whatever they can scrape up and scrap around with. Remember, they eat the onions of Egypt. They, they didn't have the best of food. They were forcibly uh, placed into this service. They were slaves. They were abused. They were mistreated. And here's what, here's what the Holy Spirit says about their treatment. From, from Egypt, look at it, it says, having esteemed the reproach of the Christ. Whether or not the Egyptians realized this 
definitely. The truth of the matter is they were being ruled over by the powers of darkness because of the reproach of the Christ. There's an acknowledgement here that these people in the land of Goshen carried the promise of the Christ. Apparently, they knew it because apparently Moses knew it. Because the Bible says he chose the reproach of Christ. He esteemed the reproach of the Christ as more valuable than the treasures of Egypt. Now, the treasures of Egypt were, were his to have, apparently. But he didn't take it. He rather chose the reproach of the Christ. Now, this is why this is why Moses is going to be so mistreated and, and, and is afraid. That's why, the, that's why the Egyptians mistreated the Israelites. It wasn't, it wasn't so. The reason in heaven was not for them to build pyramids for pharaohs. Now, that was Pharaoh's reason. That's what Pharaoh thought. But you see, Pharaoh was moving in the hardness of his heart and according to the darkness of, um, of demons. Worshiping, called himself a god, making everybody else believe he's a god. I mean, they were in darkness. And those in darkness automatically had to hate the promise of the Christ. So while, while history books may say, well, you know, they were forced to make bricks for the buildings and the storehouses and the cities and so forth of Pharaoh, the reason in heaven was this. They were hated because the devil knew they carried the promise of the Christ. Now, when you read this, you get the understanding that Moses understood that as well. If he was all that intelligent, he may have had access to archives and, and to, 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 to records that were handed down and perhaps in some way protected by the Hebrews. I don't know, we, but we get the genealogies handed down to us. Uh, and they were, the, the, Moses hadn't put it all together yet in the books of Moses, but he would have been privy to the knowledge, obviously, that the seed of the woman, the promise of the seed of the woman was hidden within this people, these people, these Hebrews, this nation of Israel. He would have known that. And he chose, the only thing he could have, the only thing he could have stood for in that day would have been the reproach of the Christ because the Christ hadn't been born yet. But, but the next best thing for people in that day was to be aligned with the reproach of the Christ. And Moses, the great man that he was, here's what he said. He said, you know, this is worth more to me than all these treasure cities that, we're, that you're building and all the stuff that goes in it. The reproach of the Christ is worth more to me than all the money in the world. And at that point in time, it probably could be argued that at least in that part of the world, Egypt was by far the wealthiest of nations. Um, that was a great statement of faith 
that, uh, that Moses not only would have professed by just in his life, but would have carried even to the point of being banished, as we'll see, God willing, next time, being banished uh, from Egypt and going through what he has to go through for the next 40 years. So you see, studying the New Testament gives us a little bit more information and helps us to see the person of Moses and the call and commission of Moses a little more clearly than just the record of Exodus. Well, we'll stop there and uh, let's pray and then we'll pick up there next time. Father God, we love you. We marvel at how you have looked after us even before we were born by carrying that promise and guaranteeing that it would be delivered finally that our Savior would be born. Even in such a distant time as the time of Moses, Father, we thank you for your faithfulness toward us. And we pray that you'll bless us and help us to learn more about you and to be a better witness of Christ every day that we live. In his name we pray. Amen.